الحمد لله الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا ما يهده الله فلا مضل له وما يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلوات ربه وسلامه عليه وعلى اله واصحابه ومن دعا بدعوته الى يوم الدين اما بعد بلاد برادرز انتس ان اسلام السلام عليكم ورحمه الله تعالى وبركاته الله سبحانه وتعالى سيس ان دول القران محمد رسول الله والذين معه اشداء على الكفار رحماء بينهم تراهم ركعا سجدا يبتغون فضلا من الله ورضوانا سيماهم في وجوههم من اثر السجود This week we lost two brothers one brother stayed here next to the masjid brother Ahmed the other brother stayed in the area brother Suleiman both very young for the time in which they lived Allah subhanahu took them away from us but what do we live with when people pass away when people pass away we think about them and we think about them in terms of the way that we knew them and when we think about them and we think the good of them and the good that they were then those thoughts automatically turn into dua and allah subhanahu wa accepts it and allah subhanahu wa grants a reward to the deceased ahmad the neighbor of the masjid and it's not by chance that he become the neighbor of the masjid i believe the neighbors of the masjid are chosen by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just like the sahaba of the nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam was chosen and gifted to be the companions that strove with him in order to establish islam as a universal faith and brother suleiman was a man who was here every ramadan made i'tikaf and i have two last thoughts of both of them the one is that brother ahmed who stayed next to the masjid the neighbor of the masjid i remember him sitting with the brother sitting there with the blue shirt he sat right there last week and wednesday and i remember him so clearly he sat he always came with his book and he sat there and this is the memory that i have of him he was a, he was a person who loved knowledge he loved to learn and he loved to be in the in the lectures and listening and asking questions and he was a very knowledgeable person and brother suleiman was a very quiet person always with a smile on his face and i must tell you this i know it may be sound embarrassing to me but i must say this to you that the last time i saw him was on the day of eid and on the day of eid i spoke about love if you remember and he you know a lot of people are in the masjid on eid and lots everybody wants to make salam so i'm the last person who leaves the masjid normally on the day of eid but this eid i wasn't the last to leave the masjid 
He was waiting for me at the pillar where the gentleman is sitting, on the chair the brother is sitting. And he stood there, and I thought, well, you know, has he got a big slavet for me today, mashallah. <laughs> and he stood there, and I went over to him, and I said to him, Eid Mubarak. And, and he said, Eid Mubarak, and we braced each other. And he, and, he, and he looked me in the face, and he said, Sheikh, I love you. And you know, that, that was the last. Obviously, the khutbah affected him, and did something to him. And that, is, was, that, was the, that was the kind of persons that we lost. We lose all the good people, and people like me stay behind. SubhanAllah. But what it tells us is that it's always too late once you're dead. It's always too late. You have to do it while you're alive. You have to be good. You can't, there are things which you can't delay in life. You can't say, well, you know, I've got a problem with my brother, but you know, I'll sort it out on Sunday at the wedding after the nikah. Or uh, I want to say something to somebody and I'm going to wait, you know, till it's his birthday and then I'll tell him what a nice guy he is. The time for Jannah is now. And when you look at these two brothers, I have no doubt in my mind that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be merciful to them and I ask Allah to grant them the Jannah, inshallah. And that is what we're going to talk about today. It's about what is success? What is the ultimate success? Of all successes that we have, what is the ultimate success? The ultimate success is expressed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran. فَمَنْ عَنِ النَّارِ And we, read, we, we hear this every time we, people recite talqeen at the maid. فَمَنْ عَنِ النَّارِ Allah says it so beautifully, فَقَدْ فَاسْ بس, that's it. The last part of the sentence says, He, is, he has succeeded. فَقَدْ فَاسْ He has succeeded. Who has succeeded? The beginning of the verse is, فَمَنْ زُخْزِحَ عَنِ النَّارِ وَأُدْخِدَ الْجَنَّةَ فَقَدْ فَاسْ The person who is saved from Jahannam and goes to Jannah, فَقَدْ فَاسْ the person who enters paradise, he has attained the pinnacle of success. That is all of success, is to attain Jannah. There's no more success before that or after that. That is success. So all our strivings and what we do and the reason that we hear early in the masjid to listen to the words of Allah and his Rasul is nothing but a step closer to that success, which is Jannah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the size of this Jannah. Jannatun ardu as samawati wal ard. Jannah whose extent will be the extent of the heavens and the earth. And for who is this Jannah? And these words are always used by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he talks about Jannah. For who is Jannah? Who will attain Jannah? I know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, للمتقين الجنة للمتقين The Jannah is for the muttaqeen For the people who have taqwa And we know and you know and I know in the month of Ramadan We really speak a lot about taqwa And we say a lot about taqwa And we have a lot of definitions for taqwa But what is that definition of taqwa that will take us to paradise? 
We need to memorize that definition of taqwa. There is taqwa when you go on hajj. There is taqwa when you want to sin and you see Allah subhanahu is looking at you and you refuse to commit that sin. That is also taqwa. Fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what is that taqwa that will take us over the sirat and into jannah? Because that is the ultimate success. Allah subhanahu Allah describes the single quality that we must have in order to attain Jannah. Allah says, فَلَا تَعْلَمُ نَفْسٌ مَا أُخْفِيَ لَهُمْ مِنْ قُرَّةِ أَعْيُنْ Allah says, and no person knows the secrets that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for him in Jannah. Through what? Bima kanu ya'amaloon. Through what he had done, his deeds in the dunya. What he had done in the dunya. Deeds. Bima kanu ya'amaloon. Amal. Amal means deeds in motion. Things that you do in motion. Things that you do for others. Things that you do to restore the balance in nature, in society, in your family. Amal. But what kind of amal? What is amal? What is amal? What is deeds? What is it? How do we define a deed in Islam? A deed is the translation of your iman into action. That is taqwa. Taqwa is when what is in here comes out in your mouth, in your sight, in your doing, in your hands, in your walking. That is taqwa. Taqwa is nothing but the translation of your iman into the actions of good. In other words, if your iman is not translated into any amal, then it's no use. If you just say la ilaha illallah and say mashallah, you know, the sheikh said if you say la ilaha illallah, you'll go to Jannah. Not enough. You must translate the iman into action and that equation is called equal to taqwa. The Nabi sallallahu says, and that taqwa, that translation of iman into action, has its beautiful consequences, inshallah, for all of us, inshallah. May Allah grant all of us Jannah, inshallah. And our parents and whoever has passed away before us. Our friends and our enemies, all of them, inshallah. The Nabi sallallahu says that مَوْضِعُ صَوْتٍ فِي الْجَنَّةِ خَيْرٌ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا وَمَا فِيهَا Very short hadith in Bukhari, hadith narrated in Bukhari by Sa'ad al-Sa'idi. He says, the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, مَوْضِعُ صَوْتٍ فِي الْجَنَّةِ خَيْرٌ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا وَمَا فِيهَا He says, one square meter of Jannah is more precious than the whole world and whatever it contains. And you know what this world contains? You know. Camps Bay is in this world, isn't it? The whole of the garden route is part of this world, isn't it? Paris is part of this New York is part of this world. London is part of Dubai is part of this world. I'm just mentioning the 
the, the nice-looking cities. Nabi Sallallahu says, one square meter of Jannah is more precious than not only that, but the whole world, including Bill Gates and everybody else, and all their billions and billions of dollars which they may have. But there is another hadith, which is exactly the same as this hadith. But it talks about something of the dunya. Nabi Sallallahu says, So the first hadith is what? Square meter is better than what? Square meter of where is better than the whole world? Of Jannah. The other hadith says, Two rakats you perform before the Salatul Fajr is also better than the whole world and whatever it contains. Whether you make it at home, in the masjid, in the street, wherever you make it. So how come these two ahadith has the same wording at the end? One is about Jannah, the other one is about two rakats before Fajr. My interpretation is, May Allah forgive me if I'm wrong. That every time you perform Salatul Fajr and you perform the two rakahs before Salatul Fajr, imagine if, if the two rakahs before Salatul Fajr is equal to the dunya and everything it contains, then what is the equivalent of Salatul Fajr itself, which is the fault? So my interpretation is that every time you make two rakahs before Fajr, you buy yourself one square meter in the Jannah. And one square meter in the Jannah doesn't mean a square meter, it means a portion of Jannah. Because remember the Jannah, the Jannah is equal to the size of the heavens and the earth. And we know the size of the heavens and the earth is immeasurable. Immeasurable. So, these are the, one may say, the short route to Jannah. Because you know, you see the person there in front of you, he's lying on his back on the cattle, and think, SubhanAllah, I saw him last week, I saw him yesterday, you know, his wife saw him this morning, and then he's gone. He's not gonna see another salah himself. He's, gonna, he's gone, he's, he's gone forever, that's it, that's the end, that's, that's the last, that's no more. No more salah, no more nothing. Whatever he had done, mashallah, will go with him, inshallah, to the qabr and to akhir and to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the next question we ask ourselves is, where do we learn this road to Jannah? Where's the best place to learn the road to Jannah? From the sheikh, no. From your mawla, no, no. From the imam, no. They themselves have to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and take the road for themselves in order for them to be able to explain it to others. So what is the road to Jannah? How do we get to the road? How is this? Where, does, where do we get the... Where do we get the gasoline for this road and the directions and the GPS coordinates in order to reach the destination? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, when I'd given this lecture on Wednesday evening, 
Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala was one day addressing the tabi'een. Nabi sallallahu said, Khayru the best time, the best age, Khayru Qurun Qarni. Nabi sallallahu said, the best age is my age. My time in which I live. In other words, the best time that ever existed is the time of the Nabi Sallallahu 23 years, is it? Him and his companions. Best time. There's no better time in the history of the world than that time. Then the next generation call the tabi'een. Tabi'a means to follow. Tabi'een means those who follow the Sahaba. Those who saw the Sahaba but did not meet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Then the generation after them. That is the generation of Malik and all the other. Tabi'a tabi'een we call them. We always make dua for them on the member. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was addressing the tabi'een, meaning the generation after the generation of the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This generation met the Sahaba. One of the Sahabi they met was Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. And you know Abdullah ibn Mas'ud is a very famous Sahabi. One of the great Sahaba of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi He was addressing them, giving a lecture to them, talking to them. And in this particular lecture, what did he say to them? He said, man kana mustannan, He said, those of you who seek a path, you seek a path, everybody's seeking a path. Today we have so many paths, we have secular Sufis, we have modern day spiritualists, in every faith. We have so many people. All of them are doing what? All of them are doing one thing. They're seeking a path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rightly or wrongly, but they're seeking a path. The charismatic churches where they clap hands and have bands and sing and dance. It's all about seeking a path to their soul, basically. People want to seek a path to their soul. They want to find out what is it that makes them tick spiritually. We have it, of course, all in the Quran and Sunnah and, the, and in Nabi Sallallahu and in the Sahaba. We have it all. We, we don't find, we don't look for it there, but it is there. We look for it outside of that, of those parameters, but it is there. It's all there. Nowhere else, no, no, nowhere else to be found. It's to be found there. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said, if you seek a path to Allah, then seek a path from those who have passed away. Then seek a path from those who have passed away. Those who are gone, left there, died. <clears throat> what did he mean by this? He meant the Sahaba of the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
And why did he refer to them? Because if we look at these words of his, what do we know? What do we, what do we learn? We learn that the Sahaba who had passed away, they had passed all the tests and they had died and they, they're going to Jannah. They passed all the tests because they're gone. And of course, there are the top 10 amongst them. And as I said on Wednesday night, this is not the top 10 that we on the radio or see on the TV. This is the top 10 that the Nabi Sallallahu made Bishara of. Al Ashra al Mubashara. The 10 that Nabi Sallallahu said to them, In the dunya, you're going to Jannah. Subhanallah. Imagine. You are given the glad tidings of Jannah while you're looking in the face of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Subhanallah. An example I gave on Wednesday night was the example of Talha ibn Ubaidillah. Talha ibn Ubaidillah defended defended the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam at the Battle of Uhud when the Nabi was in grave danger of losing his life, and when he had successfully defended the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He had more than 70 stab wounds in his body. But he was still alive. He lived long after that. And the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says about him that if you want to see a shaheed walking on the surface of the dunya, then look at Talha ibn Ubaidillah. He is the only shaheed whom the Prophet declared shaheed even while he was still alive. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud talks about the Sahaba. He says, you want to follow a path to Jannah? Those are the people already in Jannah. Follow their path. Simple advice, but the best advice, I can't fault the advice. Subhanallah. So why, why, why the Sahaba? Why them? Why did he say follow them? Why, why didn't he say follow? Great people come in every generation. Good people come in every generation. But you see, when a person is alive, me and you and all of us, we don't know whether we are still going to pass the test that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to impose on us before we die. You and I would only know that once we're dead. Because the Nabi Sallallahu said, it will be that a person will rise in the morning as a mu'min and die in the evening as a kafir. And some people will go to bed as kafir and they wake up as a mu'min. So we don't even know what will happen between morning and sunset. But we definitely know when the person has passed on. And we definitely know that the sahaba, when they have passed on, they're going to Jannah. Subhanallah. So when we want to look for a path to follow, we should find a sahabi or the Sahaba, and take from their lives and say, if these people have been successful, I mean, if you're a businessman in a particular profession, or you want to learn a particular profession, or you want to send your son or daughter to university, what do you do? You say, well, so-and-so has got the same profession, and he's very successful. Inshallah, may you also be very successful if you do this. Or you're a businessman and somebody comes and you want to start a business and say, well, that brother's got that business and he's very successful. MashaAllah, I'm going to do the same business. Inshallah, may Allah make me also so successful. So similarly, if we want to be successful in reaching faqad faz, 
the ultimate success, then we should follow those who have been successful in reaching Jannah. It's so simple. You follow those who have already been successful completely, absolutely, without any doubt. Like the, the Shuhada of Badr and the people who say, who was with the Rabbi Sallallahu at Bayatul Ridwan, at Hudaybiyah, and at Uhud, and at Khandaq, and so many, so many of the Sahaba alayhim, as salatu was Why the Sahaba number two? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa and he said, Nabi sallallahu said, there will be no prophet after me. There were prophets after every single prophet of the 124,000 prophets that Allah sent. Every single prophet had a person who followed him. Except one, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Allah could have sent more prophets. <laughs> really now, today, we really need another prophet today, but unfortunately, after Musa came Isa, and after Isa came Muhammad said, Why? Why no prophets? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had chosen the Sahaba himself. And he knew that their faith will be so much that it will be able to carry this dunya from the time of Muhammad until the end of time. They were chosen, absolutely chosen. They were chosen because, and you must remember where they were chosen from. They were chosen from literally the sands of the desert. They could neither read nor write. Most of the Sahaba at the time of Makkah were very, 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 very poor. A lot of them were slaves. Some of them were rich, but most of them were poor. Schooling was not there. So the Sahaba that came from that part of the world, the companions were pure except for the fact that some of them worshipped idols. That was all they had. Otherwise, they had no, none of the contraptions of the dunya. So Allah chose them. And they laid the foundation for what we see around us today, the masajid, you, myself, the tawheed that we have. And that's why we find, when we read the history of innovation, when we read the history of innovation, of bid'ah, you will find that not a single bid'ah was started neither in Makkah nor in Medina. Every single of the innovations that we have amongst us and that we see in the world was started in other parts of the, of the Muslim world. Whether it was in Sham or in Iraq or in Iran or in Egypt or North Africa, it came from countries other than Makkah and Medina. Because Makkah and Medina held the purity of Islam, unadulterated by Roman civilization, Persian civilization, Greek philosophy, there's none of that. Later generations who came to know the Quran first had to be cleansed and purified from all the cultures that they practiced before they met the Quran, but not the Sahaba. 
Their hearts were pure, their hearts were clean, their hearts received this Quran, and their hearts, in their hearts were embedded the character of Muhammad sallallahu They had true taqwa. They translated the iman into action. That is, as I said in the beginning, that was the true taqwa of the Sahaba, alayhim as-salatu wassalam. The second quality of the Sahaba was that they were not superficial people. They were not people who, whose Islam was outside of themselves. I mean, we know. Of all the books of the Sahaba, there's not one that speaks about their dress, for example. We talk about the dress of Muhammad sallallahu yes. But not the Sahaba. Wasn't important for them. That this, they wore like this, and they wore a tunic, or they wore this, or they wore that, or they wore this kind of this. Or, no, no, no. The only thing we read about the Sahaba was how they meticulously followed the actions of the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa That was what we learned from them. And we learn from the Sahaba, alayhi salatu wassalam. I mean, today we have all the, the outside traffics of Islam. Everything that says that lady is a Muslim and that man is a Muslim. Then the Sahaba's knowledge, Abdullah ibn Saud told the Tabi'een in his speech to them. لهم أعمق أعمق وعلم ومكانوا أعمق وعلم. They were they, they had depth of knowledge. They had what? They had depth of knowledge. And what is the difference between depth of knowledge and a lot of knowledge? What did he mean when he said the Sahaba had depth of knowledge? It meant that they were the only people who were present when revelation came to the Nabi They were the people who were present when the Nabi recited the hadith, or gave the hadith, or gave the dasiha, or gave the explanation of the Quran. They were physically present and listened to the voice of Muhammad In other words, they had the depth of knowledge. They had what nobody else could ever get, no matter how long they lived. We know, of course, that in terms of hadith, there was no one who knew more hadith than Imam Bukhari. He knew all the hadith that all the Sahaba knew. So obviously he knew more hadith than, than, than the Sahaba, than one Sahabi, than more hadith than Umar, than Abu Bakr, than Umar. He had kathratul alam, great amount of knowledge. And so the four Imams, Imam Shafi'i, Abu Hanifa, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Imam Malik, they had all the knowledge of fiqh and jurisprudence. They encompassed all the knowledge that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam taught them, taught the Sahaba and the Sahaba. But what didn't they have? They didn't have the depth of fiqh that the Sahaba had. To learn it straight at the feet, from the feet of the Master, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So they had very simple lives and they lived a very simple deen. 
Only that which was given to them by Muhammad If Muhammad said Abdullah ibn Abbas did not do it, they didn't do it. If Muhammad said do it, they did it. If Muhammad did it and didn't tell them to do it, they would do it. Follow this example. That was their life. They were the people whom Allah said, Abdullah ibn Abbas, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose. They were the people of success. People who would reach Jannah. And I told you this before that the chief rabbi of, of England, very bright scholar, by the way, Rabbis are very bright scholars in their own faith. <clears throat> and one of the things that rabbis study very intensely and very deeply is the, is the religion of Islam, because we're very closely connected, especially the relationship between them and the Nabi Sallallahu at the time of Medina. The chief rabbi, after he, after he retired, Bernstein was his name. He had given a speech concerning the crisis in the Middle East. And there is a crisis in the Middle East. It is not the first crisis in the Middle East and it will not be the last crisis in the Middle East. Islam and Muslims in the Arabian Peninsula and beyond had experienced crises like this over and over. Either internal battles between Muslim and Muslim or external battles, external attacks from outside. Like the Mongols and many other nations who came to Baghdad was destroyed as we know. All the libraries of Baghdad were destroyed. Sham was destroyed by the Romans. Palestine was taken by the Crusaders. Muslim blood flowed knee deep in Palestine when the Crusaders came, chopped off every head of every single Muslim in Palestine. So what we're going through now is the same kind of test which Allah has given to the Muslims before us. And it will, well, Allah prevented, but history has a knack of repeating itself. So we faced these challenges before. And every time we faced a challenge, we came out, subhanAllah, victors and victorious and much stronger than we were before the crisis. So don't despair in what we see in the world. It's all part of Allah's great plan for the hegemony of Islam eventually. And we know part of the hegemony, part of the positivity of the struggle, of course, are the, all the refugees that are going to Europe. There is a divine purpose in that. So there's a divine purpose in what's happening in Palestine now. 
They say, you know, before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroys a nation, he makes them crazy, makes them mad. And you can see that Netanyahu, Netanyahu now is going slowly off his rocker. He's now blaming the Mufti of Jerusalem of having started the Holocaust in, in the Second World War in, in Germany. And shame poor Merkel had to come and defend the Holocaust to say, no, we Germans are responsible. You can't blame. What does it tell us? What does that kind of statement say to us? It says to us that they have nothing more. They have reached the end of the road to convince people that they are right or whatever it is. So the chief rabbi, he makes a speech to, the, to, to, to throw some light on his understanding of the Middle East. And he said, he said that God sent Moses, the prophet of the Jews, and he says, if you read the Torah, you will find that Moses was unsuccessful in his mission on the, in this world. It is, remember, he's speaking from the point of view of a Jew. So he says, if you read the Torah, Moses was singularly ineffective and unsuccessful in his mission that God sent him to the world. Which was what? Which was to take the Jews to the promised land. He said Moses never reached the promised land. Now you know, if you come out of Egypt and you turn right, you cross the Suez Canal, isn't it? The Red Sea. So the Jew, he made a Bernstein, he made a joke, he said, instead of turning right, Moses went north. If he had turned right, we would have had all the oil today. He would have landed in Saudi Arabia. But Moses decided he was going to go north, and unfortunately, before he reached Palestine, he died. So he says, in terms of mission accomplished, no mission accomplished for Moses. Musa Ali. Of course, we don't believe like that. We believe that all the prophets of Allah were successful. Allah knew when their mission was going to end, and it ended. We would have loved Nabi Sassam to live at least 10 years more, isn't it? But Allah decreed that he was. And he said, Jesus, he says, if you read the Bible, he was also, in terms of the Bible, most extremely unsuccessful in his mission. First of all, his own people, his Jews, never became Christians. Even up to today, they don't want to become Christians. They'd rather die as, as Jewish. One by one, they die off, and they become smaller and smaller and smaller, but they don't want to accept the religion of the Prophet which Allah subhanahu had sent to them. Musa was of the Bani Israel. And of course he says, to the dismay of the Christians, not only was he unsuccessful, but they also crucified him. Of course we know in terms of our Quran that he was not crucified. Allah is very clear, Allah says, they didn't kill him nor did they crucify him, but it seemed to them as if they did it. And there's a whole long story behind it. So he says, so both Moses, he says, and Jesus, alayhima as-salatu wasalam, in terms of his interpretation, the chief rabbi of England was both unsuccessful. But he says, let's look at the history of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa He says, let's look at the history of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa He says, of all the 124,000, I say 124,000, he didn't say that. 
that Allah sent to the world, Muhammad Sallallahu mission was the most successful. He reached all the goals that were set to him by his Lord, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Before he died, the whole of the Arabian Peninsula was Muslim. SubhanAllah. That was, his, that was the ultimate goal. And that is the greatest success of a person who wants to convert others to his faith. Success is that he did it. And that he left behind an army of Sahaba that took this message to the four corners of the earth, which neither Moses or Musa nor Isa had. Only Muhammad was so successful that his followers spread this deed throughout the four corners of this earth. So what, is his, what, what does he want to say? What, what is he saying? What is the chief rabbi of England? He's saying that do not underestimate the fact that this messenger Muhammad was born to be successful and so his ummah is born to be successful. He's telling the world, do not look at the Middle East and think that those Muslims there are being destroyed and you are killing them and you are successful. He says, no. They did the same to the followers of Muhammad They made war after war after war to eliminate him. Badr and Uhud and Khandaq and Hunayn and so many other wars. Every time they came with a bigger army and a bigger army and the bigger army. I mean, today we have, we first had the, uh, we first had the, the Americans and then came uh, the, uh, uh, that army from Lebanon, what is their name? Uh, Hezbollah. And then came the Iranians and now the Russians are there. And uh, the, the, the coalition, the Germans and the English and the Australians, they all came and stronger and stronger. Now they were drawing. Canada's now said, look, we can't anymore. You know, we've been bombing these people, but somehow they still come out of the holes there in Iraq. Somehow they're still alive, you know. Somehow ISIS is still there and ISIS is giving gas beans and now ISIS has killed one American children. You know, if you kill one American children, it's like the whole of America will die tomorrow. Because they can't stand death. They want to do everything to prevent. They want to fight, but they mustn't die. Whereas Muslims, this is what they can't understand about us. We just want to die. We, we, we're the opposite of the whole world. The guy goes and he says, Allahu Akbar. And, 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 and subhanAllah. So the chief rabbi says, and I'm not giving you a lecture about the chief rabbi. I'm saying what he's saying is that success lies in the hands of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And success lies in the hands of those in whose hands Allah had given his success until the day of Qiyamah. So we should not, as an ummah, move away from the status which has been given to us. What is the status given to us? Ummatan wasata. Ummatan wasata. Now, the normal meaning of the word wasat in English, in, in, in English is middle. If we say wasatul Madina, we mean the middle of the city. But all the mufassirun, people who interpret the Quran, and people of uh, linguists of the Arabic language, say that wasata doesn't mean the middle ummah. It means the Ummah who has been chosen to establish justice, Adil, and the best Ummah, not the middle Ummah. 
Because we're not a middle ummah. A middle ummah who says, I'm not going to fight, and I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to walk the middle path. No, we're not. Nabi Sallallahu was not a middle prophet. He was a prophet. He was a prophet of justice. He was a prophet of war. He was a prophet of peace. He was everything. But ultimately, he was a prophet of justice. And his justice was taught to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is that justice that was implanted in the hearts of the companions and it is that justice that was brought down to us. I'll give you just an example of the justice that is practiced by Muhammad sallallahu When Nabi sallallahu conquered Makkah, he said to Sayyidina Ali, I want to pray inside the Kaaba. Bring me the key of the Kaaba. So Sayyidina Ali says, well, we don't have the key of the Kaaba. Not, no Muslim has the key of the Kaaba. The key of the Kaaba is by an idol worshiper. He has the key of the Kaaba. Nabi Sallallahu said, go and fetch the key from him. So Sayyidina Ali went, I think his name was Talha. That's true. Anybody know his name? What his name was? I think his name was Talha. Talha. So Ali goes to Talha and he says to Talha, Prophet Sallallahu had sent me, you must give me the key of the Kaaba. Nabi Sallallahu wants to make Salah inside the Kaaba. So he said, who is this? Who is this man, Muhammad? Who is he? I don't, I don't know. Who is he? He says, he's the Prophet of Allah. He says, well, I don't believe he's the Prophet of Allah. I, 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 I have no business with him. And this key is, is my key. It's been in my family since generations, we've had this key, and I'm not going to give it to you. You know, Sayyidina Ali, he had the order from Nabi Sallallahu Ali said to him, excuse me, sir, but you know, I can't leave until I have that key. If you don't want to give me the key, I'm going to kill you and take the key. <laughs> because they just, you know, they just conquered Makkah, so Sayyidina Ali was full of verve, you know, full of vim, you know. So he said, yeah, I'm going to kill you. Take the key and that's it, end of story. Of course, then Ali controlled himself and he gave him a couple of smacks and so forth and he pulled him around a bit and he took the key by force and he took it to the Nabi Sallallahu So when he gave the key to the Nabi Sallallahu Nabi Sallallahu he told the Nabi Sallallahu the story. He said, I came to Talha and Talha didn't want to give me the key. He said, doesn't believe in you and you're not his messenger and he, the key is this. And so Nabi Sallallahu said to him, what did he do? He said, well, I said I'm going to kill him, but I just beat him up a little bit. And I took the key from him. So the Nabi smiled. And the Nabi said to Ali, you know, Allah Subhanahu wa just revealed a verse of the Quran to me. And the verse of the Quran says, Allah said to me, to tell you that you should return the amana to the people to whom it belongs. That key belongs to him. It's an amana. It's a trust which was given to him. Handed down from generation to generation. I'm not going to unlock this door. Go and take the key back to him. Allah has revealed the verse. Allah has commanded us to be just. Even in victory, subhanallah. The greatest victory, Fathu Makkah, conquest of Makkah. Ali took the key with his head between his tail, between the whatever his tail between his legs, he went and he said to Talha, Sorry man, here's your key. And Talha said, What? What is this? You wanted to kill me? 
Just a few minutes ago, you're going to kill me. He said, you know what? Subhanallah. A verse was revealed in the Quran about you, which will be read by Muslims until the end of time. I don't think I will be able to get that reward. He said, really? He says, yes. God revealed a verse about you which will be placed in the Quran and read by all Muslims until the end of time. He said, Ashhadu wa la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu wa la That is how the Sahaba conquered the world. That is how we will conquer the world. If we are just, truthful, and treat people with equality, and in this particular case, if a trust has been given, that we carry out the trust and carry the trust as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what is the message of this khutbah? That the biggest success, the greatest success is فَقَدْ فَمَنْ زُغْسِهَا عَنِ النَّارِ فَقَدْ فَاسِ He who has been free, made free from Jahannam and given Jannah, that is success. فَقَدْ فَاسِ Allah says. فَقَدْ فَاسِ فَقَدْ فَاسِ means finished, success is complete. And where will we get the success? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud tells the Tabi'een the success lies in following the example of those who had passed away, meaning the Sahaba. And who of the Sahaba should we look at first? The top ten. The ten was given bishara, good news, of Jannah while they were still alive. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us back to the lives and the times and the example of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his Sahaba. والله تعالى عالم والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته